Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show is brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Your Philadelphia Eagles are six and one. Wentz is back again. Wentz looking, looking, still looking. He is going deep down the far side, and it is caught! And in for the touchdown goes Mac Collins! Mac Collins got loose on the far side, and Wentz threw it 64 yards! <laughs> Miro must be having so much fun with this. I'm, so, I'm thrilled for him. Hey, Eagle fans... Everybody else, it seems, is having quarterback problems. You've got a gem. And guess what? Jared Goff's not bad either. But the Eagles, you've got yourself a gem, a long-term gem. And there was never a question. They've always wanted Carson Wentz. Way back a couple years ago with the draft talk, he was always on their radar. Well, guess what? They scored. All right, let's bring in Neil Kulong. Let's talk about the Steelers. Let's see if he saw the sink the same game that Sean did. Sean wrote down a list of things. Most of them really nasty, Sean. I mean, really kind of a negative opinion about a big win. I mean, he seemed kind of bitter. That was a whole Brian thing. Oh, wait, this is Deb's handwriting. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Neil, welcome. It's always great to hear you on the other end. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. We, uh, we're we having a lively discussion. I said they just take Martavis Bryant, cut him, because I don't think you need a cancer in the locker room. What do you think? I, it, it almost seems to be, uh, you know, uniting against the common en- enemy now. <laughs> the more he complains, the better the offense does. The reality is, whether this was by design or just, you know, the, the way that things played out in the game, when the Steelers hand the ball off to Le'Veon Bell, they win games. When they don't, they lose. Um, to, to some degree, you could say that they fall behind in some of these games that they lost. That, that kind of gets them away from um, a, a decision to run. But he, clearly, the last two weeks, uh, Bell has been the, the focal point of their offense, and their offense has done fairly well, um, all things considered. I mean, they're, they're playing two good defensive teams the last two weeks, and uh, Bell had a lot of success. They controlled both of those games. Um, pretty much throughout. So from Brian's perspective, it's like this is just really bad timing to go over any of this stuff, um, not to mention the fact there's basically no way the team is going to get rid of you. You're not going to be able to angle yourself to to, uh, uh, to get released either. You know, I think they, they learned their uh, learned from their mistake with Garrett Blunt a couple of years ago. They're, they're not going to allow a player to kind of push himself off the roster. Um, Brian's going to be there whether you know he wants to be or not. And you know, in, in all honesty, the message he's going to get is you can and should make the most of this because you're not going anywhere. They're just they've they've put way too much time um, into him, and they they just simply don't have the receiver depth uh, to to be able. to to let go of a player that uh, knows their offense, so it, it really it, it's just kind of a you know a, a negative situation, but one I, I think they can work past pretty easily. Uh, you know, it's interesting that we talked last week about Bell 
basically getting into game shape by playing games because he missed all of training camp, and we discussed that last week. After losing to Jacksonville, coupled with the one with Chicago, have you sensed that the Steelers have simplified more things, and because of that the running game has become more in vogue? Um, I'm not sure if they've necessarily simplified it more than what they had. They, they don't have an, an overly complex uh, running scheme. They, they do power and zone, which you know not a whole lot of teams um, have the continuity and, and the talent um, available to do it. Certainly the Steelers do. They, they've had their offensive line in place for, what, four seasons now. Um, and, and Bell, I think, it took him a bit to find his rhythm and to find his confidence more than anything. Uh, his vision is back. He's, he's hitting the hole much more aggressively than he did. And he, he's still using that patience, though. You know, that, that's something he's going to continue. The Steelers' offensive line got after it against the Bengals. And the Bengals' yeah. defensive line were on ice skates for most of that game. They really got whipped down, down in the trenches. Uh, both sides of the ball, the Steelers dominated, really. So, for Bell, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it typically, um, playing a, a run defense that's as, you know, usually as disciplined as, as scout as Cincinnati's presents a bit of a challenge, but he, he walked over them. They, the Steelers' offensive line really should have gotten a lot more credit after that game, I think, than they did. Uh, Bryant does realize Antonio Brown plays on the other side of the field, right? He doesn't seem to. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, Bryant on the field or not, I, I still would have assumed going into this season. Uh, the Brown is going to get 11, 12 targets a game. Why? Because he's Antonio Brown. That's, that's just what they right. do in the passing game. Right. And uh, for by and large, he's made plays. Bryant acts like he's he's not even dressing. I mean, he's out there. He gets four targets a game. Um, they, that one deep ball, I don't know if you saw it, the one time they, they went deep to him, yeah, I don't think he even knew the ball was there. Exactly. I mean, lost it in the sun or something. I mean, yeah. It was a, a really, really sloppy-looking play. And if he thinks that those kinds of things are going to get him more targets, I, I don't know what to tell him. I mean, you know, to be fair, too, uh, uh, Jesus Smith-Schuster only got four targets, too. You know, it's not like the ball is going all these other places except for him. It, it's Brown and Bell. It, that's just what their offense does. Um, Bryant would have more of an opportunity if he made more plays. And it, to this point, he's only made the one against Minnesota, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we mentioned Artie Burns last week and how important he might be in a game against Green and so forth, because Dalton, to his credit, started to play a little bit better along the way. Uh, what did you think of his performance last week, Neil? I, I thought we barely saw him. Um, he, he made a play. Um, it was a shorter out route to Green early in the game. He came really close to picking off. I thought he had it at first. Um, but really, the bottom line was we, we didn't hear from him, and that's a good thing. You know, any, any cornerback that's not you know mentioned all that often in the broadcast is uh, – yeah, it's probably doing pretty well. Not to mention the fact that I think they got, I think they got Green what two targets in the second half or something That's like it. that. Yeah. Whether whether that was um, by design or you know a combination of things between uh, Burns and Hayden. I mean, it feels their their cornerbacks group has really come a long way. I, I was worried about it going into the season, but you're getting outstanding play out of Mike Hilton. He came from absolutely nowhere. Um, I, I think Burns is definitely living up to his billing. Um, I, I was worried about this game just because I, I really thought uh, the, the Bengals might have an opportunity to kind of challenge him a bit. But um, the Steelers' pass rush might have taken care of some of that. Otherwise, you know, the more outputs we've had um, against A.J. Green in, in a while versus the Steelers. What did you think of Roethlisberger and how he's played the last couple of weeks? Uh, he's he's coming along. He looks a bit more confident now. Um, it, you know, it, it just kind of seemed like maybe there were a bunch of things up in the air um, early on, they weren't really sure how they were going to do things. They, they they had a much better game plan 
uh, this week, certainly, than they did against uh, Jacksonville. I, I thought this was very much in tune with what they're doing well and um, how they're able to play the game. Um, at the end of it, I was kind of surprised. I didn't really keep an eye on it, but he only completed 14 to 24. That was a little surprising to me because it, it seemed like he had a lot more um, shorter stuff going his way. But he, they, they did try, you know, a couple deep balls. You want to talk about younger cornerbacks. William Jackson III for, for Cincinnati, I thought, played an outstanding game. Um, it's really, really hard to cover Antonio Brown the way that he did. I think he had two or three pass breakups. He had a, a, a great, um, you know, kind of uh, veteran hold down the field, if you will. Did a great job of kind of hooking Brown's arm at, at a spot the official wasn't going to be able to see. That's a veteran move. And keep in mind, Jackson's the he's the guy that the Steelers were rumored to uh, to be ready to pick right. before Cincinnati took him, and then uh, Pittsburgh took Artie Burns. So it, it, it's fun to see two younger guys, uh, especially this is Jackson's first year of, of uh, game action out there. Um, ben tested him, and you know, as, as he probably would, but he he stood up to it. So I, I think maybe Ben might have left a couple completions on the field, but overall, I thought he, he played very well. It was a really smart game by him. It just seems like the defense has really. I mean, I think they've they've been putting the offense. I think in a pretty good position. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think they're they're setting it up well. Um, I, I still want to see a bit more whether that this is a distribution thing or whether it's really uh, that the you know guys like Bryant and Smith Schuster need to step up and, and get the ball more often, probably more to the tight ends. But you'd like to see a little bit more uh, distribution overall within the offense just to put stuff on tape the other teams have to kind of prepare for. Right now, I, you get a little bit worried looking at you know the, the mass amount of um, production that, that is coming from just. Um, Brown and Bell. Now, obviously, they're the star players, and I, I said earlier they should be getting the ball. But you've got to have a guy make you know to, capable of making a play. And one thing we haven't seen um, from the tight end group is consistency. Uh, well, I guess Vance McDonald dropping passes has been pretty consistent this year. He dropped a touchdown um, that, that they absolutely should have had in that game. He's dropped a couple deep passes too, but he's getting open down the field. You kind of hope that maybe you know something could come along for him and be another added dimension to this offense. You know, it just looks too much like last year where they had to rely on Bell um, up until Bell wasn't there anymore, and then they completely fell apart. So they're going to have to get somebody else uh, really going, and perhaps maybe, maybe that is Bryant. You know, not to, to give in to him or anything, but maybe there is a way they can get him seven, eight targets. Uh, see if they can't jumpstart him a little bit. Look, we know he's a natural talent. I mean, we've seen that. But, I mean, does he block? Does he I mean, Does he do anything to this point where you say, you know what, he's done some things that's, quote, helped us win some games this year? I don't think we really have, except for the Vikings game. I mean, he, he uh, obviously the touchdown catch, but he drew, uh, I think, two pass interference calls deep down the field. So you know that he has the ability to do that. I always see Bryant getting after it, uh, whether it's in the run game or the open field. Um, you know, blocking down the field. I don't think there's a lack of effort there on his part, but typically he's a deeper receiver, so you're not seeing him, you know, lead the way or anything like that. But I remember there was a play against the Chiefs. Um, Brown caught it across the middle, and Bryant was right there as well. He kind of laid in a block. He, usually you see Brown after a you know, 20, 25-yard catch. He gets up, he drops the ball, he kind of preens for the crowd a little bit. But this time he held on to the ball and immediately went right over to Bryant and kind of slapped him upside the head, you know, encouraging him for it. It looked like Brown was pleased with what Bryant had did on that play, and maybe you know Bryant kind of kind of needs that encouragement from his teammate right now. So I, I think you know he is capable of doing that, and I, I think his teammates uh, can can see that he is out there trying and working. But 
you know, it, it could very well be kind of the same thing as Bell. I mean, it took Bell 100 carries to kind of get back on course. Um, you know, Bryant's only had 18 targets, I think, so far this year. So, you know, maybe that's where his frustration is coming from. He's trying to get back in. He wants to kind of show everybody these chains, and he can still play the game. But he, he really isn't getting a whole lot of opportunity. But, you know, to be fair, he hasn't really, you know, done a whole lot to help himself either. All right. Uh, this will be the last game the Steelers have before the bye week. Uh, what are your thoughts on the matchup with uh, Matthew Stafford in Detroit? Hey, the Lions, Lions are a real interesting team to me in the sense that yeah. you can never quite tell if they're overperforming or underperforming. They, they really don't have, a, a, it seems like, a, a cohesive philosophy on how to play the game. I mean, if you really want to get you know the, the ball in Stafford's hands and let him make plays, but it just seems like they, they continually try to establish the run and they can't, and they end up falling behind and kind of have to throw it all over the field. And, you know, you don't know if they have a good defense. You don't know if they have a bad defense. They're really just kind of up and down. I'm not really sure uh, exactly how to prepare for a team like the Lions. I'm not sure the Lions know how to prepare themselves or anybody. So um, this, this is going to be really interesting in the sense that, you know, it, it's, it's at least a, a decent opponent um, on the road in prime time. That, that's tough. Those games are, you know, that, that's a really – you know, it loud, drunken environment make a lot of noise for the <laughs> offense. Uh, it takes a lot to win those games. So, you know, I don't, I don't think Detroit is, you know, on a talent level better than the Steelers. But uh, it's about matchup, and you know, it, it seems like the Lions have players at the right places that can do things. But I don't know. I, you're just not sure what team you're going to get, except for you know, Stafford's a good quarterback, and he doesn't play uh, poorly very often. So I'll give Stafford a lot of credit. Neil is the fact that when Johnson just suddenly retired. I think everyone thought that they'd hit the cliff and he'd go with them. Stafford's played really well without Johnson in the lineup since he retired. Yeah, to his credit, I think Stafford, if anything, he got better. I uh, do, too. It goes to show that the difference between the marquee receiver and the marquee quarterback. You know, it, it, it's the age-old argument, which one makes the other. Um, the, the, you know, the end-all result is for a, a one-on-one situation, they both need to be great. Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, that's what this generation of Steelers football has really been about because they're both outstanding players. I think both of them are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, as for a quarterback, though, what you need to do if you don't have Antonio Brown is make the, the collective – um, group that you do have look much better than they really are. And you do that by kind of distributing the ball, getting balance, and, and moving it around. That's entirely up to the quarterback. All of that is, is purely matchup. Um, a veteran like Stafford goes to the line. He's probably got four or five plays that he can call. Right. He's got to identify, you know, where the ball needs to go and, it, you know, obviously against the defense that he's facing. And the more consistently he can do that, not give up tendencies and just kind of take what the defense is giving him and, and make plays down the field, the better the quarterback is as opposed to the receiver. And I, I think he has embraced that kind of philosophy uh, over the last season and a half now. And, and he's played the best football of his career. You, you have to be really worried with a guy like, like, Stafford on the field. I, I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. Neil, always a pleasure. Appreciate it, my friend. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Neil Kulong, USA Today. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, so I wanted to hear my esteemed colleague, Doug Birdsong. Hey, rarity have a game end in overtime on a pick six. But uh, my guess is it was called to perfection, so 
I know, Sean, you have it ready to go. O'Malley takes the snap, goes to pass, has time. Now as he hits, as he throws, man is open the end zone. It's going to be picked off. Coming up the far sideline is Johnoff. Johnoff ran one back for 64. Has a block at the 40. Comes to the 50. Down the sideline to the 40. To the 35. To the 30. To the 20. To the 10. Touchdown! Colin Johnoff has won the game on a 90-yard interception return for six, oh my almighty, it's over here at Easton, and Bucknell is in the thick of the Patriot League race. I love it. Oh, Doug. Oh, I love it. That was great. That wasn't good. That was great. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Glad I heard it. That was terrific. Right? That ca- I think that captured the spirit of it, don't you? Love the energy. Love the passion. Oh, it was just great. Yeah, I hope everybody gives Doug a nice greeting when they see him tomorrow over at Maddie's. And, oh, you guys are lucky you got a real pro over there. Gets it done. Way to go, Doug. Way to go. That was that was tremendous. I'm glad I asked. World Series game one tonight. Excessive heat warning. Uh, Corey Seager, by the way, is back for the Dodgers, but Curtis Granderson was left off the World Series roster. They say it's possibly the hottest game ever in the postseason. Uh, They say at 8.09 tonight, Eastern time, so 5.09 Dodger time. Uh, Let's see. Game one, D-backs and Yankees was 94 degrees. Uh, let's see. Tonight? Let's see. They say it's going to be right around there, I guess. There's no chance of rain tonight. <laughs> so. But game one's going to be hot. It's going to feel like it's July. And they right now they have an excessive heat warning in Southern California. That's incredible. That is, uh, boy, that's, that's, again, remember, they're starting at 5.09 in the afternoon, so it's not like, hey, it's going to be like 8.09 here where it's dark. If they were to play the World Series here instead of there, it would be an incredibly comfortable night for them to do that. I couldn't couldn't get over the weather at Heinz Field on Saturday. I mean, of all the, I've been going to Steeler games now for close to 20 years, and I couldn't have, I couldn't have remembered a more perfect October day than this past Sunday. Yeah. There's been some October games I've gone to, and the, the wind was whipping around, coming off the river, and just cut through you, and cloudy, and dreary, and rainy, and could not have asked for a better one. Well, I mean, you look at the whiteout here on Saturday. Saturday mm-hmm. was a perfect day here. Perfect day. It couldn't have been any nicer. Well, they're talking about the possibility of maybe a little bit of rain on Saturday in Columbus. We'll see. Don't you know? I also check to see about the wind. To me, wind is more. I mean, compared to rain, who cares? It rains, it rains. Uh, wind is an issue. And they're talking about winds maybe five to seven miles an hour. That's no big deal. So if there's wind, that's a that's a problem. Rain, who cares? Playing on the road. I'd like to see all twelve games here. 
So it's accepted. You got to play road games. Don't care about that either. I mean, these are all things that we tend to make a big deal out of. And I can tell you, after all these years, <laughs> I don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> I know I'm different. I got it. Just, but I'm also been around the block and have been to a lot of road games in my lifetime too. I don't. I usually feel that talent and matchups are a bigger deal. See how it plays out. Final half hour coming up. Our thanks to Neil Riddell, Altoona Mirror in the 3.30 half hour, and to Neil Kulong of USA Today on the Steelers in this half hour. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Time now for our Sports Bozo of the Day. Who the heck is writing ESPN.com? I mean, seriously. At 2 o'clock today, I checked in with the top headlines. Top headlines, there were six of them. Four with the NFL and two with the NBA. What's missing? Oh, I don't know. Game one of the World Series? This is the, quote, worldwide leader in sports. Game one of the World Series being played tonight. Now, finally, just after 2 o'clock, that changed because that's when the Dodgers announced that Curtis Granderson was going to be left off the World Series roster and Corey Seager was going to be put on. But how do you sit there and run a a full worldwide web we're the expert you got to go to and you sit there and you go to it and you're like what what two nba stories four nfl stories that's fine but you know you could include a seventh one what about game one of the world series i couldn't believe that when i went there i finally again after two o'clock that changed but you have to be kidding me <laughs> Well, especially since they have the radio rights to the series. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's still important. That's still important. Yeah, it's important up to a point. Um, On Sirius XM, you can get the home team calls, too. So, believe me, they, they get... I'd rather hear the home team calls than hear the national call. Ironic you bring that up because it wasn't even that long after the game wrapped up on... Uh, late last week, I'd started to see some, you know, tweets. Oh, if they could only bring Vin Scully back for a couple of innings, and right. actually, Vin himself, he won't squ- do it. He squashed that. He won't do it. He doesn't want to be bigger than the moment. He doesn't want to swoop in and, you know, here I am. You know, I mean, yeah, the people that are there have, uh, through their own work as well, have earned their spot there. So whether it's Joe Buck and John Smoltz and Tom Verducci and Ken Rosenthal or Charlie Steiner or Rick Monday on radio, you know, hey, 
It's certainly not going to go on the Dodger network. So, you know, you know, Harry Callis' son's the TV broadcaster for the Astros, right? Oh, that's right, Todd. Yeah, yeah. Now he can't do the World Series. The radio will do World Series on the uh, Astros network, but TV can't. So he has been um, a fan. I heard him on MLB Network the other day. He was talking about being a fan. He and his fiance sitting out in Section 105, enjoying the games. So, getting back to uh, Vin Scully, he doesn't do too many interviews. So, for folks that you know just can't get enough of hearing his voice, uh, another sports legend, Dick Enberg. Uh, Dick Enberg just started a new podcast less than a month ago. One of his first guests was Vin Scully. Ah. So if you're into podcasts, look for Sound of Success, the Dick Enberg podcast, and you'll be able to find his uh, chat with Vin Scully. A couple weeks ago, yeah. it was originally uh, originally dropped. Yeah, that's... It only lasted like barely 15 minutes. It's like, oh, if we could only had an, more time. I always, I mean, we said that last year, you know, when you knew it was one more game that Vin wasn't going to be doing. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, it's uh, you're talking about a guy that uh, I believe Connie Mack was still managing when Vince Scully started his career. What does that tell you? Um, Tom Verducci did a great interview with uh, Vince Scully a year ago, which is just super. So, hopefully, you have a chance to. You know, hear what he you know has to you know had to say, and you can go online to si dot com and hear Tom's interview with him. And he, uh, look, I mean, he's one of the, he's one of those guys that is just a gem. He is a wordsmith. He's a poet. He is the consummate play by play guy. He was a great football announcer. He's a great golf announcer. And obviously, the preeminent baseball announcer is really, really special. Uh, but you know what? He also is a humble guy. And he decided that, uh, you know, he doesn't want to be the center of attention. Him, He actually was in a luxury suite, I think, for one of the playoff games. And then I know he watched the Dodger clincher at home with his daughter and his uh, his wife Sandy. So <laughs> remarkable. I mean, remarkable. I mean, one team all those years. He had chances to leave. He had chances to stay national. But he always stuck with the Dodgers from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. I mean, he really. I mean, you can really credit with him with allowing Dodger baseball to become really popular in Los Angeles because he described the game and it was in the transistor radio era. All these people would be sitting there at first the L.A. Coliseum where the Dodgers originally played until Dodger Stadium Chavez Ravine was built. And he really, in a lot of ways, taught them the nuances of the game. And there are players that will tell you 
that there were so many radios on when they moved to Dodger Stadium that the players could hear him doing the game. And a couple of players said that they waited to get in the batter's box so they could hear Vin Scully say their name on the radio. They wanted to hear it. That's too cool. <laughs> hey, our buddy Dick from Milton's on the line. He wanted to talk about Vin as well. Hey, Dick, how are you doing? Hey, Steve. I wasn't going to call, but when you mentioned Vin Scully, I couldn't pass up this opportunity. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when he... I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, obviously, when he started. And uh, there weren't many baseball teams around, but there was, you know, everybody had their their announcers, the Dodgers and the, and the Phillies, of course, and then you had the Ernie Harwells. You had all these guys that were Phil Rizzuto. And, I mean, you had these guys who were really, really, really good announcers, but there is only one Vince Scully. And I've, I've been depressed, not depressed, I really feel bad that here they are in the World Series and he's not there, in a sense. I was hoping they'd get him in the booth. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, Dick, it's it, 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 they would they would welcome it. The club, and, yeah, and Joe Buck would welcome it. Vince Scully doesn't want to do it. Yeah, that's what yeah. I kind of figured. Uh, I mean, I never did. Did he actually say he didn't want to? Yes, that's, he, that's, he's that's the one that him. said the yeah the Orange County uh, Register got a hold of him, and yeah. he said, well, he said, nah, he said he doesn't want to upstage it. And I don't think he wants to take away from the guys that have been there all year. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, 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 to put it in perspective, it's hard to, hard to imagine a guy that was announcing when Jackie Robinson started playing baseball. I know. And, I mean, uh, just, does... how many guys have come and gone? Good, good announcers have come and gone over the years, and oh. there he is. And you, you know, look at the, 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 the greats of that era, by some with Philadelphia. Bill Campbell with Philadelphia, uh, Rosie Rosewell, Bob Prince with the Pirates, Chuck Thompson and Bill O'Donnell with the Orioles, Mel Allen with the Yankees, Red Barber with the Dodgers and the Yankees, Ben Scully with the Dodgers, uh, Jack Buck, and people forget Harry Carey was with him in St. Louis with the Cardinals, uh, Kirk Gowdy, then Ned Martin with the Red Sox. I mean, these are all the voices of our youth, Dick that we sat there and listened to when not every game was on TV. And thus, I think all of us have a greater connection with them because they were our connection to the game because we couldn't see the games back then. Yeah, well, I, that's what I'm saying. I was old enough to remember what, uh, radio. I had a transistor. You could listen to the games at night because AM radio was AM radio and it was strong you could listen all of us you could I mean yeah. I was so you could get everybody literally and and TV was when it was just in its infancy when I was a kid it was just black and white TV back then and small screen TV and local stations when I say Altoona uh, mm-hmm. Lancaster uh, Binghamton I'm thinking about what we had for TV but there yeah. was baseball and there was the there was the New York Yankees and the, the New York Giants and the Polo Grounds in Brooklyn and New York and oh man I must be getting old <laughs> no but, and, I, and I neglected to, to mention the awesome Ernie Harwell with the Detroit yeah. Tigers yeah that you could hear there uh, obviously Marty Brenneman's been there forever with the Cincinnati Reds I mean, these are all, you know, I mean, Bob Murphy, um, Lindsey Nelson, Ralph Kiner with the Mets. That goes back to, obviously, the beginning of the franchise in 62. Yeah. Uh, It's just some great, great 
announcers over the years. Bob Wolf with the Washington Senators. Is Mark Frembury uh, still playing for the Mets? I think that, I think this year he was, and I think he hit only one sixty. God, he played forever. I know. Rusty Staub. Oh. <laughs> Rusty Staub. Le Grand Orange. He played. Well, he went anyhow. to Montreal. He was the Le Grand Orange with that red hair of his. Rusty Staub yeah. up at the Expos. Well, I couldn't pass up the the opportunity to at least put up. You you did for Vince Scully. He is. Yeah, he's to me. He is the he's the ultimate baseball announcer. He, he certainly is, no question, no question. Okay. Good luck this weekend. You, hey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dick. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, boy, do you think of I mean, some of the greats of all time? Uh, I didn't mention Jack Brickhouse in Chicago. Would be another one that would be one of the greats, and then you graduate to the next level, the next era. Harry Callis with Philadelphia. And what Harry Callis did, you know, he was with the Astros then. All those legendary years with the uh, with the Phillies with uh, Woody Ashburn. It's uh and and the, by the way, and the nice thing that he did by some announce all those losing teams. Philadelphia A's were bad, bad, bad. And Bison was their play-by-play guy. All right. So then the A's moved to Kansas City. So the Phillies hire him, and the Phillies are bad. Then finally he retires. I want to say he retired in 75. And in 76, the Phillies started winning. <laughs> so when it came time for the clincher, to clinch the division, Harry Callis invited back by some to help announce the clincher. That way he could have been a part of something, been a part of a championship. Now that's class. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we were talking last week about the legends in college football and that I think Fran Fisher should have won the Chris Schenkel Award. There's been 23 recipients. Fran should have... I think Fran... Fran did not receive enough national recognition for the great work that he did. Some of the Southern guys did. Uh, Fran deserved uh, his uh, just due. And uh, I know Lou Prado was starting to get the process rolling for him, and then, of course, everything hit the fan here. and That changed, and, of course, Fran's passed away. It means something to his family now. It's, it's always a lot more, it's always a lot tougher when, when someone's passed away. Oh, great memories growing up. Listening to Marty Glickman do Giants football and Fred Cusick and Bob Wilson do the Bruins and Johnny Mouse during the Celtics. They got mugged. <laughs> if, if somebody had a Celtic player, he mugged them. Right, if the Celtics player did the exact same thing to the opposing team, it's an actors' league. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. We'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
Hyundai Motors Kia is in need of used SUVs and pickup trucks. If you have a used SUV or pickup truck of any brand or any miles, Sunbury Motors Kia will give you more than ever before on your next new Kia. Sunbury Motors Kia has 21 2018 Kia Serenos starting at $24,999. Sunbury Motors Kia will give you more for your trade than ever before on your next new Sereno. Brand new Kia Souls sell elsewhere for $19,200. Not at Sunbury Motors Kia. 2017 Souls start at $15,996. Remember, every new Kia comes with a 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 5-year, 60,000-mile basic warranty. If you're looking for the most money for your trade, Sunbury Motors Kia has been given the green light to overvalue your current vehicle to trade up to a brand new Kia. Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us today. Penn State, Ohio State, Saturday in Columbus, kicking off at 3.30. We'll be on the air with the Deets and Watson tailgate show beginning at 2 o'clock on Saturday. Seems to have drawn some national interest. People come up and they say, aren't you more keyed up? I'm like, I said, what do you want me to do, pace? <laughs> Why, it make you feel better? It's like, I am how I am. Uh, the biggest thing to me is, am I ready? After that, we'll go from there. So. <laughs> Thought you'd be more, like, more what? <laughs> when it comes time, it'll be time. Can't do anything about it today. Paul Keels, my good friend, the play-by-play voice of Ohio State football, is going to join us on the show tomorrow. And, uh, so, and we did hear back from Philadelphia Eagles insider uh, Dave Spadaro. He'll be with us tomorrow as well. Got him locked in at three thirty-five. Now, one thing I notice about the Ohio State lineup is this: Eric Smith off suspension, Michael Hill off suspension. Hmm. Sensing a trend. Hmm. How about that? They're off suspension. Hmm. I'm taken aback. <laughs> they must have done their time. <laughs> Timing's amazing. It's of the essence. Or I heard. Mm, yes. So. <laughs> well. Yeah. Uh, they'll have a change at right guard. It looks like Demetrius Knox is going to have to be there instead. Uh, let's see. Anything else I notice here? And they're too deep. We're doing an or now when it comes to corner. That's fine. Let's see. Worlier, Borland, middle linebacker, Booker, Hubbard, or Holmes, of course. Draymond Jones, Tracy Sprinkle, Lewis, or Bosa. Bosa's had a heck of a year. He really had. Bosa's been really good for them. Nick Bosa, he's got 10 tackles for losses. Oddly enough, in the uh, Nebraska game, he didn't have any. You had 10 going in. Look, they're really good. That's fine. This is what you want. It's a, you know, as I guess Sports Illustrated has put out uh, a 25-year retrospective of Penn State in the Big Ten. This is the 25th season for Penn State in the Big Ten. 
I know travel wise, it was really nice for fans. They could go to Pitt, they could go to Maryland, they could go to um, West Virginia, they could go to Syracuse, they could go to Rutgers, maybe get up to BC. That part was fine. But I, I'll ask this question sincerely. If Penn State had a schedule right now, you know, now they've got Pitt, Rutgers, and Maryland already on there. But if they had a schedule that then included West Virginia, Temple, Boston College, like they did in the old days, would they be where they are now in terms of recognition? You're in the Big Ten. Now, whether you think Michigan is great or not, that's still Michigan over there you're facing. That's still Ohio State over there you're facing. It's just there's a, a meat and potatoes to the Big Ten. It's just different. It's just different. I think it's just refreshing I, this year. I mean, this year. I mean, how long did we hear for close to a decade? You know, top conference in all college football, the SEC. Well, right. not, not this year. I mean, it's just been a great change of pace. I mean, well, just looking at Penn State's division alone. Yeah, everything's in cycles, though. I mean, the SEC went through a great cycle. Now the Big Ten's going through a great cycle. Yeah, you just hit it right, depth of teams, quality, and so forth, and the SEC's had that. Now, see, this is where I think SEC athletic directors make a mistake, and that's as follows. Now, if you have somebody you just don't think can get the job done, then you go on to somebody else. But they're too quick with the trigger in the SEC on coaches, and that plays right into Alabama's hands. Because remember, every time you go out and change coaches, you have to start over again. Alabama's not starting over. And that conference has such a pro mentality with its fan base and so forth that you've got to be able to look at the fans and say, hey, look, slow down. But they play by all the coaching changes they've made. Now look at the coaching changes of the Big Ten. Suddenly you got Franklin, Harbaugh, and Meyer. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.